Good to see you all. Uh, you know, as Richard was talking about staying with his mother, I was just thinking, you know, my parents are here with us today, and when they come into town, they come in their camper. And uh, I don't know about staying in the mansion, but you guys can park your camper by mine if you'd like to. That'd be all right. That's good. That's good. <laughs> uh, about two weeks ago, my kids got their report cards in, the end of the fall semester. And so they got the report cards from then, and we were looking over it for you. Tell me about report card season. Was that something that scared you, or was that something that was a joyful occasion? What about, yeah, yeah, it was, uh, was report card time something you were hopeful about or, uh, or something made you a little bit nervous? I, I once had a math class in high school, and the math teacher said, listen, the grades in this class are going to be a reverse bell curve. If you do the homework, you'll make an A, and if you don't do the homework, you're going to fail, but there's nobody who's going to get a C in the middle, and I took that as a challenge. I, uh, I went after that C so hard. Got it. I'm going to break my flawless C record in all math classes. <clears throat> what if God was offering a specific evaluation of you today? What if God had a report card for you, a word of evaluation? Is this scary for you? Or is it joyful to receive a word from the Lord? How would you take it today if God had an evaluation for you? Today, our scripture passage is all of Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, in which God has a report card for seven different churches that are all very near to each other in what is now Turkey. I'll be reading out of the Pew Bibles, and so if you'd like to follow along, we are on page 1090. Page 1089 is where we'll start, and then page 1090. In this passage, Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, the Apostle John, who's writing this, has this word from God where God says, write down for me, here's the message that I have for that specific church over there. And these are seven churches, all very near to each other, all in what is today Turkey, uh, all right around each other. The largest is Ephesus, but then there's six others as well. And God has an evaluation word for each one of them. Here's where you're doing well. Here's where you're not. And it's different depending on each church. And I think it will be helpful for us today to take them as a whole, quickly and as an overview of the different kinds of words that God has for different churches, and then even for us to be able to apply them for ourselves. Not our church alone, but for each of us also alone. If you received this word from God today, how would He bring evaluation to you? So, whether it's scary or an occasion for hope today, would you like to hear the word of the Lord? Amen. Well, then let's pray and read it. Father God, I thank you so much that you've spoken so clearly to us. I pray that we would receive your word when we hear it today, that we would believe it and that we would obey it. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Each one of these letters has a certain formula to it. It begins with a short sentence declaring who Christ is, and all of the images from, that He declares Himself to be to these churches are all found in chapter 1 of Revelation. There's a passage in chapter 1 where Jesus talks about uh, who He is, what He has done, and then you see this revealed church by church. 
Uh, We are told that He is the one who walks among the lampstands, and that He is the one who holds the stars in His hand. These lampstands are, we're to understand, it's told clearly to us, are these seven churches? The idea is Christ is the one who walks among His churches on the Lord's day. We're to understand for ourselves as well, we, a church of the Lord Jesus Christ, that He is with us and walking among His churches this morning as He speaks His words to His saints. So I'm just going to read to you the introduction sentence from each of the seven first. So you'll have trouble following along with me, but, but do listen to the word that the Lord has. Thus says the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven lampstands. In verse 8, thus says the first and the last, the one who was dead and who came to life, to the third church, thus says the one who has the sharp double-edged sword. See, Jesus is the one who walks among the lampstands. He is among His churches now. Jesus is also the one who came and died, but who is alive now. And Jesus is the one who has those words that always cut to exactly what we need to hear from Him. The words of the Lord to us are like a sharp double-edged sword, a scalpel that gets right to the heart of the matter. Verse 18, thus says the Son of God, the one whose eyes are like fiery flame and whose feet are like, whose feet are like fine bronze. This fiery flame eyes, the idea is that He sees right through us. However we dress ourselves up, whatever disguises we come with, He sees right through us to the truth of who we are. Chapter 3, verse 1, thus says the one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, this is to say the one who has the Holy Spirit on Him, Jesus Christ, and the one who holds the leadership of all of His churches in His hands. Verse 7, thus says the Holy One, the true one, the one who has the key of David, the one who opens and no one will close, the one who closes and no one opens. He is the one with all final authority over all things. Uh, As I like to walk around here, I periodically run into a door that I don't have a key to, and I'm always wondering what's going on in there. You know, what's stored in that closet? And it drives me a little crazy. I don't have the authority on every issue. But see, this is not the way it is with Christ. There's no realm, there's no part of our lives, there's no part of the world that He is not in control over. If He opens a door, it's open, and if He closes a door, it is closed. All authority resides with our God. Verse 14, thus says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the originator of God's creation. All things were created by Him and through Him and for Him. This is Jesus Christ, our Lord. And now, more specifically. So, we have this image of Christ, all of these words taken from chapter 1 of Revelation. He is all of these things, and all of these things are pertinent to the churches that He's writing to and are pertinent for our lives because all of these things are true for us as well. He is the one with all authority. He is the one who died but who rose again and is alive forever. He is the one who sees right through us. He is the one whose words will get to exactly what we need to hear in our hearts. This is our Lord, Jesus Christ. So let's take them one by one, each church. First of all, the letter to Ephesus, chapter 2, verse 2. What's their report card? What does God have to say to this church? I know your works your labor and your endurance, 
and that you cannot tolerate evil people. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be liars. I know that you have persevered and endured hardship for the sake of my name, and that you have not grown weary. This report card is going good so far. They don't tolerate liars. They test what they hear against what Scripture says. They are enduring and following and trusting God. They're keeping all of the commandments. Verse 4, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember then how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. This is what God says to this church. You're doing great. You're keeping the commands. But you've lost this loving feeling, you know? You've you've lost it. And you have to turn back because without that, all the obedience doesn't matter if you've not loved the Lord. What does this church remind you of? This is, by stereotype, the church of the old church lady. You know what I'm talking about? This is the stereotype of the one who is excited to cast judgment on their neighbors, uh, who has keeping the commands, always at church, always dressed right, always doing right, but this is the one who does it all somehow spitefully still to their neighbors, who is following the Lord but has grown cold and tired in it, and now obeying the Lord is simply a routine for them. They've become painful to be around. There is a story I once heard about a church member here long ago, before, long before I was here, long, long ago, <laughs> long, long ago, no relation uh, to any of you, but who very austere and yet tired when the pastor was going too long, would very clearly and publicly check her watch from the pew a bit like this. Keep, yeah. <laughs> Anybody today? <sighs> um, we can become like this. I remember I talked to a pastor one time, and we were talking about he had just gotten snapped at, this pastor I was talking to, by an older gentleman in his church. And, uh, and he knew this man well. They were friends. They were, they were members together, but he just gotten snapped at. And, uh, and afterwards, he turned to me and said, you know, there's this stereotype about the grumpy old man that's out there, right? You don't know the stereotype. But it's not true for everyone, and it doesn't have to be true for you and I, is what he said. Let us do the work of always remembering the love of Christ. Amen. He said to me, because I know men in this church who have gotten so kind and gracious and loving and patient, you watch the fruit of the Spirit bloom in their lives. And they grow into, even if they were meaner or harder in heart, younger in life, that the work of the Spirit is evident. And their grace becomes evident to all. And He said to me, let that be you and I. And I say to you today, let that be us. Surely the world is hard and it wears on you, and it grinds against you, and it can make you mean. But let's not forget our first love. Let's not, in the abundance of our obedience of the command of Christ, forget that Christ loves us dearly and is with us now, walking amongst His members, walking amongst His church. 
Let us repent of the hardness of our heart or perhaps the prioritization of obedience and tasks over relationship with Him. Yes, let us obey the Lord with all all of our being. But if it happens to be the fact that you've lost that love and desire to spend time with the Lord, well, here's a remedy for you. Come and worship with the congregation regularly. Go to Him in prayer continuously, and He will remind you. The Word for you is the same as it was for this church. Repent and turn back to the love of the Lord because He will receive you. The second church we come to today, verse 9, the church in Smyrna. Well, let's hear what their report card is. Jesus says, I know your affliction and poverty, but you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Don't be afraid what you're about to suffer. Look, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison to test you, and you will experience affliction for ten days. But be faithful to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. They're not doing anything wrong, but this is still a difficult letter because the commands of Christ are this, don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. And He doesn't say, I'm going to make it easy on you. He says, endure until death. Don't be afraid about what you're going to suffer, is what He says. Some of you are about to be thrown in prison, and some of you will die. But if you endure unto death, then you will receive life from the Lord. What if this is the word of the Lord for you? What if you go to the Lord in your suffering, and what He says to you is, don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer? What if the word of the Lord is, oh, it's going to get a little worse, not better? Because that's what He says to them. It's about to get worse. And the only command He has for them is, endure it. God is gracious to us, and all blessings flow from His hands. And hasn't He poured out abundantly on us all kinds of blessings? God has been so gracious to us. But in life comes suffering. Perhaps if you're following the Lord, suffering comes because you're following the Lord. Although for us, the application may not be persecution because God's been gracious, and He pours out these blessings upon us like the freedom that we have to worship right now and here. But perhaps it's just the difficulties of life that are coming at you. Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Is your faith in Christ the kind of faith that you'll abandon as soon as difficulties arrive? What good was that faith then? Do you trust Christ and start to obey Him up until the moment the difficulties happen in life, and then you go, well, I'm going back to my old sins for comfort? I wanted to follow Christ when things were good, but hey, things have gotten a little bit difficult, so I'm going to go comfort myself with the sins that I used to comfort myself with. Do family turmoil and difficulties arise and you go, well, you know, we'll go back to the old sins for a moment. Are people around you jerks? We all, welcome to the world. We all have to be around people we don't get along with. But is the moment that you get around somebody who you dislike or who is awful to you, do you go back to the anger monster and begin to fantasize about evil against them? Don't, as soon as suffering comes, turn away from following God to find your comfort in sin. 
and don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I mean, does the, stark, does the stock market go down and suddenly you're like, well, I guess I'm done following Christ? Was your faith so small? Well, I've got a word for you from the Lord today. Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. This suffering, we will pray for you. That this suffering will not end in death. But to be sure, our lives will end in death if Christ tarries. And yet, the one who endures to the end, here's a promise, better than any other promise. The one who endures till the end will have life. The next church, the church in Pergamum, verse 13, Jesus says to this church, I know where you live. I know where you live. It's where Satan's throne is. You are holding on to my name, and you did not deny your faith in me. Even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was put to death among you, where Satan lives. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to place a stumbling block in front of the Israelites, that is, to eat meat sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. In the same way, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. This is a fascinating one because this is a church likewise under persecution. He says, you know, I know where you live. I know that right now, though your residence may be a mansion in heaven, where you live right now is right next to the throne of Satan. They live in the most difficult area possible, just a spiritually dark location. If you were here to hear our missionaries talk about Thailand last week, he's saying, y'all live in this spiritually dark place, so bad so that some have already been killed for their faith, Antipas, this person who is named here from the church who was faithful all the way until death. But even still, this church, persecuted and suffering, they're still tolerating evil amongst them. The teachings of Balaam, they say, the Nicolaitans, these words don't mean a whole lot to us except that he tells you what those teachings are. He says the teachings are this, participating in, approving of, or tolerating pagan idolatrous ceremonies, as idolatry is essentially it, and sexual immorality which is a sin they're still committing. Perhaps it is like that last one. Difficulties came, and though they had repented and turned away from sexual morality, now it's difficult again, and they go back to this for comfort. But it must not be. You see, this church, and this church as a matter of fact, have great enemies in the world. There are such awful enemies around the church who want to harm it. There is Satan, there is the world, there are people who have aligned with Satan and want to see the church demolished. There are such great and evil enemies out there. But the greatest enemy is always inside. You know, we're, we're well protected, I think. We're well provided for. We have great people who sacrifice their time and effort to stand on guard for us even now. And it's very, very appreciated. Let us each also stand on guard because the greatest enemy is always inside. You see, you and I, we were all agents of the enemy. We all belonged to his throne before we came to Christ. And that old nature persists in our life. And though we worry about and are fixated on and troubled by dangers from without, 
we must also worry about the dangers from within that will go back to sinning. You know, we live freer than ever before right now. But that also means it's possible to use that freedom for greater and newer heights of evil, as you see in the world. When we raise our children, we raise them in light of this, saying, kid, there's some great evil in the world, but it's possible for there to be great evil in your life, and there shouldn't be. As bad as things are out there, here's a phrase I was taught by a worship leader I worked with once. My kids were very young. His kids were teenagers. And I was like, man, how do you deal with some of these things as a dad? And he goes, oh, you need to learn this phrase right here. That You're going to get a lot of mileage out of this, Jordan. He said, you need to learn this phrase. Kid, we just don't live like everybody else. <laughs> that was his answer. Child, you just need to know up front. When you say, but my friends are, we don't live like everybody else. We live differently than all of them. We live set aside. We're not a part of the world any longer. We're a part of the kingdom. The temptation will come inside of you like anyone else, but you must resist it. This is what God says to the church. The next one, chapter 2, starting in verse 19, to the church in Theratira. Jesus says, I know your works your love, your faithfulness, service, and endurance. I know that your last works are greater than the first, but I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and teaches and deceives my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat meat sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to repent of her sexual immorality. So look, I will throw her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great affliction. Unless they repent her works, I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am the one who examines minds and hearts. I will give to each of you according to your works. I say to the rest of you in Theotira, who do not hold to the teachings, who haven't known the so-called secrets of Satan, as they say, I am not putting any other burden on you, only Hold on to what you have until I come. This church has a very specific problem. There is one who is in the church. It's a woman whose name is Jezebel. But there's a person who is in the church who is leading people away from God. A specific person who stands up and says, I am from God. I have a word of the Lord for you. And this is what the word of the Lord is. Come, let's commit sexual adultery. Let's commit sexual immorality. Let's do what's evil. And people are doing this. The temptation is there. We must not ourselves tolerate evil teachers. There will always be teachers out there, leaders, who want to lead you astray from God. And this church here, that one that we've been reading about, they're tolerating this. And Jesus says, don't tolerate this. I've even listened to the patience of God. I have given her time to repent but she's creating all these not literal children, all these people who are following her. I've given them time to repent, but not forever. Judgment is about to come, and it is about to come quickly. He says, to the rest of you who haven't fallen into this, don't now, but continue to hold on to your faith. We must not become the kind of leaders who lead people against what is right and what is good. To be sure there are ones like this out there, 
To be sure, there are pastors, there are church leaders, there are Christians who, you don't have to be a pastor to be a leader in Christianity. To be sure, there are church leaders who lead others into inappropriate joking. To be sure, there are those who lead others into sexual sin in the same way. No matter what they preach, who behind closed doors lead others towards evil call others to give in to temptation just as they have. To be sure, there are leaders who lead other people into drinking more and living wrongly. First of all, we as a church have to guard against cults of personality because we keep hearing headlines and seeing people who do this wrong. Do we not? It must not be us. Let us as a church together watch and guard against the cult of personality and guard and watch against problems of morality, but for each of us as well. Let us be careful about how we lead, because each of you today are sitting around other people who are also tempted to sin. And if your plan was to give in to temptation and do something wrong, this is leading those other people around you all the more to want to give in to temptation, even if they're fighting it. If you choose to be inappropriate, to be cynical, to be backbiting, to be vile, you will tempt the other people around you to likewise behavior. If you do this and make it normal in our gatherings, then other people will see that and they will follow along with you. And look how great the condemnation is. We must not tolerate those who would lead us away from Christ, and we must not become those who would lead us away from Christ. Chapter 3, Jesus says to the church in Sardis, I know your works. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. So be alert and strengthen what remains which is about to die, for I have not found your works complete before my God." Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you are not alert, I will come like a thief, and you have no idea at what hour I will come upon you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not defiled their clothes, and they will walk with me in white because they are worthy. In the same way, the one who conquers will be dressed in white clothes. I will never erase his name from the book of life but will acknowledge His name before my Father and before His angels. This passage, too, a bit frightening, yes? You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. To be sure, a church can get a reputation for being a certain kind of church, and that reputation can be 10 and 15 years old. Church can have done something amazing and spectacular, seen a great revival happen, and still be living off that, not pursuing Christ for a decade or more later. It must not be us, and individually, it must not be you. We must rejoice and thank the Lord for all the amazing things we've gotten to be a part of. We together so I've been here about six and a half years now. So we together, just in six and a half years, you don't have to go that far back, we've gotten to see some miraculous things that God has done. And it's been a delight to get to be a part of them. I, I've loved it so much. Some of the things we've seen, some of the folks we've seen come to trust Christ, some of the things we've gotten to do, it's been spectacular. Amen. 
And then for the rest of us, individually before that, haven't you gotten to see some God do wonderful things in this life? Let us rejoice and thank the Lord that we got to be a part of them or even see them happen. But we cannot live in the past because our work is not yet complete. That's what he says to this church. Remember then what you have received. Repent, he says. Strengthen. Be alert. Strengthen what remains which is about to die, for I have not found your works complete before my God. Dear friends, our works are not yet complete. We've still got more to do. So let us press on with great rejoicing. Let us look for opportunities to turn our eyes outwardly. Let's look for opportunities to turn our church budget outwardly. Let us be diligent in prayer for those who are lost. It's a new season and things are different, and they may always be different than they were. If you don't know what to do, simply go to God in prayer. Say, God, show me the way forward because I want to walk it, and this God who is faithful and true will absolutely show you the way forward. But let us not, above all things, continue having a reputation for being alive and yet actually be dead and unfruitful. To the next church. Chapter 3, verse 8, Jesus says, I know your works. Look, I have placed before you an open door but that no one can close. Because you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and you've not denied my name. So note this, I will make those from the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews but are not, they are lying, I will make them come and bow down at your feet, and they will know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my command to endure, I will also keep you from the hour of testing that is going to come on the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one takes your crown. This church is little. This church is small. He says, listen, I know you guys are small. I know you're little. He says, there's one other church earlier who they're poor and destitute, and yet because of their faith, they are rich in Christ. There's another church who thinks they're rich and have everything that they need, and yet they're spiritually impoverished. To this church, he says, I know you feel like a small church, but there's a door that I have set in front of you. And because I'm the one who set the door in front of you, there's an open door of opportunity ready for you. What God says to the church today is this, though you have little power, there's nothing that will stop you from keeping the commands of Christ. Think about it this way, dear congregation. We, today, as we are gathered, we lack nothing that we need to keep the commands of Christ and do what He has asked us to do. We are lacking nothing. That some small church in the world of 10 and 15 believers gathered together secretly in somebody's house, because they have the Word of God and because they have the Spirit of God, and if they are willing to obey and endure, they lack nothing that they need in order to fulfill what God has called them to do. What do we say again and again here? Little is much when God is in it. Little is much when God is in it. You know, Jesus told a parable about the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, I keep all the commands. I want to keep keeping the commands. What do you need? What are we doing? 
I'm in. And Jesus said to this particular rich young ruler, he said, well, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor, then come follow me. And this rich man, he went away from God sad because there was something that he was unwilling to do. For you and I today, there's a door that stands before us, fixed open. This is what God has called us to do. And since He is the one who has set it open, nothing will keep us from doing the things that God has called us to do. The only question is, when you hear God calling, will you go away sad? Or will you, rejoicing, endure and trusting the Lord? I have breaking news for you today. Creation is being held together by an all-powerful Creator who is gracious and merciful and slow to anger and faithful and abounding in steadfast love, so much so that He came to die for us, so much so in His steadfast love that He came to live with us even now. Don't be afraid because you think of yourself as small or uncapable or untalented. You have everything that you need in order to follow Christ rightly today and bear much fruit. Don't let anything deter you today, but hang on and follow after Him. You know, there's this command that runs through all these letters. That's why we looked at it like this today. I know it's a lot for one day, but you look at them all, and there's certain themes going through, right? They're all struggling with the same sorts of sins, idolatry and sexual morality. It continues on in the world today. And the call is the same for many of them. Hold on. Endure. Just hang in there in obeying and trusting Christ and believing and following after Him, even if it's hard. You know, for us Christians, victory simply sometimes looks like having endured until the end, having hung in there, because Christ is the one who has really won the victory on our behalf. So, for us, victory is simply believing that until the very end and following Him as Lord. The last church, verse 15, Jesus says, I know your works, that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were cold or hot. Because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I am going to vomit you out of my mouth. For you say, oh, I'm rich. I've become wealthy. I need nothing. You don't realize you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined in fire so that you may be rich, white clothes so you may be dressed, and your shameful nakedness not exposed. Buy ointment to spread on your eyes so that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be zealous and repent. See, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and eat with him and him with me. This church, he says, I wish it were hot or cold. Hot water is delightful. I like a good cup of tea. I like a good cup of coffee. I like a good hot bath. You know, hot water is excellent. We're freezing. You know what would be nice? Hot shower. <laughs> hot bath. <laughs> Go and take it as your sermon illustration. Hot water is delightful. You know what else is delightful? Maybe not at the moment, but ice cold water. I have a refrigerator at my house that was in my kitchen, and it kind of broke to where the freezer side had a valve going over to the refrigerator side that kind of quit closing right, and so the refrigerator side was also freezing, but not quite as much as the freezer side. Anyway, it became the garage refrigerator, and it's perfect for bottles of water because they'll get really, really cold 
but not quite freeze, so long as you don't put them in the freeze zone, the area closest to the uh, cold part. Other shelves are good. I've got a system figured out. And I tell you what, if you're looking for some nice ice-cold water, I've got you covered. Hot water's good, cold water's good, but these people have become useless. That's what he says. You're, you're useless now. I wish you were useful. It'd be useful if you were hot. It'd be useful if you're cold. You're just useless. And what makes them useless? They have forgotten their dependency upon Christ. That's what it is. He says, you think to yourself now, ah, oh, we've made it. That's what they're doing. They're saying, you know what, we finally made it. We don't need to rely on God. We've got all the money that we need. That the market could crash and we'll be just fine. We have everything we need. We're rich. We're doing just fine. We've got everything. We've become wealthy. I need nothing. What Jesus says is, you don't realize you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. They have lost their dependence on Christ. They have forgotten that we never get away from needing our daily dependence upon Jesus Christ. We are constantly dependent upon Him, and if we are not depending on Him in all things, we're useless. We can't forget that we don't really bring much to the table. Christ is the one who has done it on our behalf. So, to summarize the commandments here for you today, first of all, don't forget love. Don't slide into a grumpy routine of cold, hard obedience. Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer, and don't let it deter you from believing Know that there are dangers out there always, but remember that the greater danger is in here. And don't yield your heart. Don't give the enemy a foothold. Don't tolerate sin around you or sinful teachers. Don't bring temptation close like it's an old friend, but clearly and cleanly remove it from the church and from your life. Don't live off the reputation or the loud of yesterday but be newly fruitful today. Know that you have very little strength, but that Christ has opened a door before you that no one can close. So endure in obeying Him and doing the work of salvation. And finally, do not lose or forget your dependence upon Christ. Let's finish with this. The warnings that He gives to the church all in a row and the commendations of who He is. He says to each one of them in sequence, if you do not repent, this will be important for us to hear, if you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. I will come soon to you and will fight against those among you with the sword of my mouth. He says to the false leader, I will cast her on a bed of suffering and make her and those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely. He says to the churches, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I am coming to you. He says to the church, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. But each one of these letters ends with a promise to these churches and to this church, to you. The promises are these. To the one who is victorious, Jesus says, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. To the one who is victorious, I will not, will, the one who is victorious will not be hurt at all 
by the second death. The one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to those who receive it. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I'll give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my Father, Jesus says, so I will give it to that one, the morning star. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life. But I will acknowledge that name before my Father and His angels. The one who is victorious, Jesus says, I will make a pillar in the temple of God. Never again will they leave. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, like a badge, like a passport. The new Jerusalem, which will come down out of heaven from my God, I will also write on them my new name. To the one who is victorious... I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my Father on His throne. Everything is at stake for us. But Christ has prepared a way for us to walk, and He walks it with us even now. This Jesus Christ walks amongst the churches and the lampstands, this church even today. The Holy Spirit is on you and on us just as it was on Him. And it is the Father's desire that you should be saved and that you should endure till the end. So let nothing stop us from receiving the blessings that are written down in this book. Perhaps this is the right way to conclude these letters with the same refrain that concludes this chapter. Whoever has ears... Let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches.